I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, What is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all thy heart, with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself, is more than all whole burnt offerings offerings and sacrifices and when Jesus saw that he had answered him discreetly he said unto him thou art not far from the kingdom of God and no man after that durst ask any questions you may be seated Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. I've been challenged by that verse recently, and I'd like to ask you, as well as myself, some questions this morning. Do you love God? If we were asked that question, our default response would probably be, well, of course I love God. But do you really love God? Do you love God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength? If you love God, does he know that you love him? Can he tell that you love him? Is it obvious? If he knows that you love him, How does he know that you love him? How do you expect him to know? When is the last time that you told God that you love him? Or when is the last time that you did something to show your love to God? Some years ago, Gary Chapman introduced an idea that he referred to as love languages. And he suggests that there are different ways in which people communicate love, and he compared these different ways to languages. If you communicate love in one way, and I communicate it another way, we might be both expressing love in our own way, and yet we may not be communicating that to each other, because we're not doing it in a way the other person understands. It's as if we're speaking a different language, saying the same thing, but not understanding each other. We may be 100% earnest, yet not understood. Now, I'm curious, how many of you have read one of his books or are somewhat familiar with the five love language concept? Okay, I assumed a lot of you would be. And Gary, in his books, presents five different ways in which we can communicate love. And those five ways are by words of affirmation, by physical touch, 
by spending quality time with a person, by giving gifts to a person, or by performing acts of service for that person. And his concept is that I may communicate love by one of those methods, while you may communicate love by a different method. And if we are not speaking the same language as it were, we are miscommunicating. One person says one thing, and the other person understands something totally different. It's like you're speaking a different language. Now, if some of you have been in a culture or a, a setting in which you needed to learn another language, you may realize some of the frustrations that go along with that. Uh, one time when I was living in Romania, I was in a meeting at the orphanage. I did not live at the orphanage, and in, in the course of that meeting, I needed a document that I had in my office. So I called over to the office and asked them to fax that document to the orphanage office. And then I called the orphanage office, which was just across the yard, and I asked them if they could make three copies of the document and send it to us with one of the children. Now, it so happens that the Romanian language, the word for children and the word for copy is almost identical. It's just a slight different accent. So I asked for three copies to be sent with one of the children. They made one copy and sent it with three children. <laughs> three children showed up with one copy. You see, we were not communicating effectively because we were, there was a little bit of a language barrier there. Now, I'd like to clarify to begin with. I, I do not plan to preach a sermon from Gary's book on the five love languages. I think it's been probably at least 15 years since I've read any of his books. And while the concept of the five love languages is an interesting idea, it's not a list that's found in the Bible, such as the fruit of the spirit or the spiritual gifts or some other lists that we find there. So while I do not plan to, to preach from his book, as it were, it does provide a bit of a background for the message this morning. A couple weeks ago, in the course of my daily activities, a thought occurred to me that, that seemed to be a random thought out of nowhere. And that thought was, well, if there are different love languages, which is God's love language? Which of these languages does God speak? Which of these languages does God understand? In which of these ways does he perceive my love for him. And so I was thinking about that idea a bit. Well, we know that God is love. The scriptures tell us that God is love. And it so happens that who you are influences what you speak. If you are German, you speak German. If you are Russian, you speak Russian. And if God is love, God speaks love. So his language is love. But nevertheless, which one of these dialects, perhaps we could say, does he speak? Well, we would agree that God is perfect. Perfect means complete. It means all-encompassing. So if God is complete and perfect, I believe 
that he speaks love in every one of these ways, in each of these five methods that I mentioned. And if he speaks in each of these ways, I believe that God would like to receive our expression of love to him in each of these ways as well. If he does not receive our expression of love in each of these ways, he may not be expressing or receiving the expression of love from us that he desires. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. We need to express our love to God with everything we have. And I'd like to use these five different ways that Gary presented, Gary Chapman presented, as a way in which we can show love for each other, as a way in which we can express our love to God. And I don't plan to cover all five of them this morning. Originally, I was intending to, but I think we'll just go with part of the list this morning and then continue it in a later message. Words of affirmation, physical touch, quality time, giving gifts, and acts of service. I think each of these are ways in which we can express our love to God. And while I said that the Bible nowhere has this list as such, as a list, I think each one of them are biblical concepts. And each one of them are ways in which the Bible indicates that we can show love uh, to each other. So I'd like to look at the first one. First way in which we can show our love to God, and that is by words of affirmation. And I'm going to use the word praise this morning. Praising God, affirming Him for who He is. First of all, God deserves our praise. The verse on the wall here behind me says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. God deserves our praise. There are many verses, many verses in the Bible that contain both the word love and praise in the same verse. Found that interesting. If we love God, I think we will praise God. If we do not praise God, on the contrary, it may be an indication of our lack of love for him. Now, I'd like you to think a little bit, do a little quick evaluation here. How much time do you spend each day talking to God? For many of us, it's probably less than it should be. For some of us, it could be less than 15 minutes a day, uh, maybe a minute or two before each meal, and maybe another five or ten minutes sometime in the course of the day we spend in prayer. It's not very much. For some of us, it may be more. For some of us, it may be less. But assuming we spend 15 minutes talking to God each day, how much of that time do you spend actually praising God for who he is. For a lot of us, much of the time we spend praising to God is simply asking him for 
something for his blessing, for his direction, that his spirit would work in our lives or in other people's lives. We really do not spend that much time praising God. At least I do not spend as much time praising God as I should. Now, I'd like you to think of the person on this earth that you love and care for the most. Now, I don't know how much time you spend talking to that person each day. For some of us, we may feel like we don't spend as much time as we would like to talking with that person. But let's take that thought a bit farther. How do you think that person, the person that you care for, the person that you love the most, how do you think that person would feel if 90% of the time that you spend talking to that person, you would be simply asking them for things? Asking them to give you things, asking them to do things, just asking for things. Do you think your relationship would degenerate if that's all that you would talk about? Give me this, give me that. You know, that person that you love and you care for, you communicate with and you praise that person, you thank that person for what he does or what, what she does. You give that person cards when a birthday comes around or an anniversary or whatever it may be. And you think of what is written in those cards. Often it is words that are lavish with praise and adoration. Are we just as lavish with our praise to God? Perhaps we should be. I think we should be. We often search for just the right words to express our feelings to another person. Are we just as intent in looking for just the right words to express our praise to God and our acknowledgement of who he is? God deserves our praise, but not only does God deserve our praise, God desires our praise. God longs for your praise. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 24 says, for the Lord your God is a jealous God. And when God hears you praising someone else with a praise that does belong to him, he rightly becomes jealous because he deserves our praise, so he has a right to desire our praise. When God listens to your speech, what does he hear? When God listens to your speech and to your praise, it really reveals who you love or what you love. Much of our praise, or excuse me, much of our speech actually praises ourself. We want people to know who we are and what we've accomplished. Yesterday we were babysitting some of my nephew's children. And their boy really enjoys spending time with our son, Kendall. What well, so happened that Kendall was not at home yesterday. He's down at Mountain View. So this boy missed Kendall, so he drew a picture for him. And across the top of that picture, he wrote the words, I am smart, you know. And I thought, well, he might just be a little more honest than what we are. Because our words may try to convey that thought without actually saying it. We want people to recognize who we are, how smart we are, what we can accomplish, or whatever. Isn't that the underlying theme to so much of what we say? 
Much of our speech may praise our heroes in life. And frankly, many of those heroes are not worthy of our praise. Just because they do some physical accomplishment that do a little bit more than someone else, we spend all of our time lavishing praise on them. God alone is worthy of our praise. Do we use our praise to express our love for him? Well, let's move on. God's word directs our praise. God's word gives us some input, some direction in how we can praise God. We need to praise God for what he does. And again, this verse on the wall behind me, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. We should praise God for the things that he does. Now, this may be one of the easier things to praise God because we tend to notice what God does. We notice the things he does for us, especially. And so we feel indebted indebted to thank him for that, to praise him for that. And we should. That is good. We should praise God for what he does. But beyond that, we should praise God for who he is. Not just what he does, but for who he is. Psalm 150, verses 1 and 2. Praise ye the Lord. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him because of who he is. I would encourage you, in your personal meditation, or maybe as a family meditation, to just concentrate and think about who God is. And then praise him for who he is. Thank him for who he is. Meditate, pray through the names of God alphabetically. We have a list. I have a list that gives, it goes through the alphabet and gives a number of names or descriptions of God for each letter of the alphabet. And I find that helpful in just praising God for who he is. For example, for the letter A, he is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the anointed Son of God. He is the advocate with the Father. He is the anchor of my soul. And each one of these give a little different aspect of who God is. Think about who God is. Thank Him for who He is. Praise Him for who He is. Praise Him that He, as the author and finisher of our faith, that He designed our faith, that he prepared that plan for us. Thank Jesus that he is the advocate with the Father, that he intercedes for me, that he pleads my case before the Father. That gives us a new awareness of who he is. Praise him. Praise God that he is the anchor of my soul. When the times around me are stormy and the winds are blowing, We have an anchor that keeps the soul, the songwriter says, steadfast and sure while the billows roll. That is something to praise God for. The letter B, he is the bread of life, the bright and morning star, the beginning and the end, the beloved of the father, the bridegroom of the church, the bishop of my soul. These are all things for which we can praise God. And if you would find that an interesting exercise to engage in, if you'd like a copy of that list, feel free to ask me. I'd be glad to share it with you. We need to praise God for what he does. We need to praise God for who he is. We need to praise God continually. 
Psalm 34.1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, I think it's very good when we can praise God spontaneously. Something happens and we're just so overwhelmed we express our praise to God for that. But the fact is, sometimes we just don't feel like it. Sometimes we just don't feel excited about life and about who God is and what he does. But the psalmist says, I will praise God at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So even in those times when we do not feel like it, we can still praise him. We need to praise God sacrificially. Hebrews 13, 15 says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. And I found it interesting that there are more than a dozen verses in the Bible that use that expression, the sacrifice of praise, or give the idea of praise and sacrifice together. What is the sacrifice of praise? I believe that God is more interested in my genuine, heartfelt praise to him than he is in some lighthearted gift, giving him something out of obligation or whatever, or superficial gifts. He wants our genuine, heartfelt praise. So what are we sacrificing when we praise God? Maybe it is sacrificing the glory I would like to receive to myself. The sacrifice of praise. Any praise that exalts myself in any way. If I use my testimony to God to exalt myself, it is not a sacrifice of praise. Or maybe I could say that praise that I feel in my heart, but I'm too self-conscious or bashful to express, may not be a sacrifice of praise. We need to just lay that out before God. And there are other ways we can praise God as well. The Bible or the scripture gives many indications. Praise him in the nighttime. Praise him in the morning. Praise him throughout the day. We need to praise God for what he does, for who he is. Praise him continually and praise him sacrificially. God understands your love by your praise. And I ask you this morning, are you speaking God's language? Are you speaking a language that he understands? Are you speaking the language of praise? Is he getting the message? Typically, we have a testimony time after a service. Look at this testimony time as a time, as an opportunity for you to express your love for God. It may just simply be as simple as standing up and saying, I love God. I praise God for who he is. Think of, a, of some, something that he is that speaks to you. But don't limit it to testimony time. This afternoon, if you're visiting someone, tomorrow at work, speak the language of praise. Now, I'd like to move on to a second language in which I believe that we can express our love to God. And that is through physical touch. And perhaps you're wondering what you're going to hear about this one. Because after all, we can't even touch God, right? Well, can we or can't we? 
Can't we? Or can we? First of all, I'd like to say that there's something that is very unique about communicating by touch. Because you cannot be touched without touching. From where you are, you can see me, even if I may not see you. And you can hear me, even if I may not be able to hear you. Sometimes you may even be able to smell me, and I may not be able to smell you. But you cannot touch me without me touching you. If you lay your hand on mine, your hand is touching my hand, but my hand is touching your hand. There's something about touch that takes us to a new level of communication. And sometimes I may offer words of praise or gifts to someone, but they're not receiving. They're not received. There's no guarantee that that person will receive them. But when there's physical contact, there's a connection. And I want to clarify with this point that I'm not referring to an erotic or essential or a self-serving or self-gratifying touch. I'm talking about a touch that ministers, a touch that serves, not one that is self-serving, a touch that blesses others. This morning, one of you selected the song in our time of singing, Under His Wings, I Am Safely Abiding. The scripture actually gives quite a few word pictures of God drawing us to him, God holding us under his wings. That indicates a level of touch. The scripture indicates God holding us in his arms. Underneath are the everlasting arms. Those are indications of God's touch. I'd like to look at some ways through which God or Jesus expressed love through physical touch, and then I'd like to come around to the idea of how we can do the same. Did you ever think about how often Jesus touched people? I've recently been challenged with that. As you read about the life of Jesus, as you think about the life of Jesus, think about how often he touched. I have a number of examples. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus touched the children. In this situation, there were people who brought children to Jesus, and it says they brought him there specifically for the reason that he should touch them. Well, the disciples weren't too pleased with this arrangement, and they started rebuking the people. I can imagine them saying, get your children away from here. Don't bother the master with your little children. He doesn't have time for them. He has more important things to do. Get them out of his way. But Jesus was not very happy with the disciples' response. In fact... The scripture says he was much displeased because here was an opportunity to communicate his love in a personal way and the disciples were trying to stand in the way of that and prevent him from doing that. And he says very directly, suffer the little children to come unto me, allow them to come to me. It says he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and bless them. The loving touch of Jesus gave a blessing. 
The touch of Jesus still gives blessing today. Have you allowed Jesus to place his hand on your life? Have you drawn close enough to Jesus to where he was able to touch you? Jesus communicates love through touch, and his touch brings a blessing. Another example, Mark chapter 5. Jesus touched, in this case, the daughter of Jairus. Now, this girl was sick, very sick. And her father came to Jesus with a request. His request was interesting. He said, I would like you to come to my house and do what? Pray? No. Speak? No. I would like you to come to my house and lay your hands on my daughter. That was his request, that she may be healed. It seemed he recognized that there was something special about the touch of Jesus. But by the time Jesus arrived, his daughter had died. And in the minds of the people, it was too late. But Jesus went beyond what the people were doing. See, the people were standing without, weeping, crying, mourning. But Jesus went beyond. He went right into that girl's presence, to the presence of her body. And he touched her. He took her by the hand and restored her life. The loving touch of Jesus gave life. And the touch of Jesus still gives life today. The people thought it was too late. Maybe sometimes we think it's too late, but it's not too late. It's not too late to allow Jesus to touch your life. Have you allowed him to take you by the hand and restore your life? Let's look at another example. Matthew chapter 20, Mark chapter 10, Luke 18. Various accounts of the same uh, incident. Jesus touched the blind man. He was coming out of the city of Jericho. And there were two blind men sitting, sitting, two blind men sitting along the road. And these men perceived that a great crowd was coming down the road. And they wondered what was going on. And they asked, what, what's happening? Someone told them that Jesus is passing by. I don't know what these blind men knew about Jesus. Obviously, they had heard about him. Obviously, they knew something about who they were. And they started crying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd told him, be quiet. Don't be so noisy. Jesus doesn't want to bother with you. They cried the louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus heard them calling. Jesus called for them to come. And those blind men jumped up. The one account says he threw down his coat. I can just imagine he rushed to get to Jesus as fast as he could go in his blindness. He got to Jesus. Jesus asked him a question. What is it? What do you want? Why did you call for me? What would you like? Lord, that I might receive my sight. What did Jesus do? He touched his eyes. The one account refers to one blind man. Some of them refer to two blind men. But he touched their eyes. Here are the words of Matthew. 
So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight. You notice the progression of events here. First Jesus heard them. Then he called for them to come. Then he talked to them. He asked them a question. And finally, he touched them. That touch was the culmination of that interaction. It was the real expression of his love. He heard them. He talked to them. But his love led him to touch those men. The loving touch of Jesus gave sight to the blind. And the touch of Jesus still gives sight to the blind. Are you ready to cry out in desperation as those blind men, Lord, that I might receive my sight? Are you willing to allow Jesus to touch your eyes this morning? Let's look at another example. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus touched a leper. Lepers lived outside the camp. Lepers had specific instructions about where they could live, where they could go, what they could do, what they could not do. They were not allowed to mingle with the crowds. In fact, they were to cry out as they walked, unclean, unclean, so that everyone knew who they were and they could step back and make room for them. Imagine being a leper. Imagine everywhere you go, there's just this wide circle of space around you. People just clear away. It may have been years since you felt the simple touch of another person. Can you imagine what life would be like as a leper? Now suppose you're in the crowd this day, one of the bystanders, watching Jesus heal the sick, watching Jesus cast out devils. You're captivated by his love You're mesmerized by his authority as you're watching him. And as you're watching him, suddenly you sense something is happening. You you feel the crowd just begin to shift. And you look up and you notice a leper approaching. And there's no doubt that this person is a leper. The Bible says he was full of leprosy. It left its mark on his body from head to toe. Now, the sick people you did not mind, those who were possessed with demons didn't faze you. But a leper? That's another story. This is too much. There's no way you're going to allow him to get close to you. And everyone backs off except for Jesus. Jesus remains standing as this leper comes closer and closer Jesus is watching this leper with an expression of love and compassion in his eyes. And you watch spellbound as the leper gets closer and closer. Is Jesus going to allow the leper to touch him? Is Jesus going to become unclean? Might this be the end of the ministry of this man from Galilee? And at that moment, the leper falls down on his face before Jesus, not daring to come any closer. And he cried out, Lord, if thou will, you can make me clean. 
and you think, surely this teacher understands the need to get away from that man as quickly as possible. You watch, waiting for him to turn and get out of there. But instead, the teacher takes a step forward, reaches out, and places his hands on that leper. And he says, I will be thou clean. I can imagine in that moment as the leprosy departed from that person that he just lost all inhibition and just stood up, leaped to his feet and sank into the open arms of Jesus as he experienced the touch of Jesus. You see, it was the touch of Jesus that changed his life entirely. It gave him a brand new start in life. The loving touch of Jesus brought healing and cleansing to a wretched, rejected man, a man that was an outcast from society. And the touch of Jesus still brings healing and cleansing. If we are willing to fall at his feet, at his feet and confess, Lord, you are the one who can make me clean. Jesus touched people, but not only did Jesus touch people, Jesus allowed people to touch him. Have you ever thought about how many people touched Jesus? You see, we have a certain amount of space around us that we consider to be our private space. If you're talking to me and you get too close to my face, I tend to back up a step or two. Because I, I don't mind listening to what you have to say, but I'd rather not feel what you have to say. You're getting into a private space. And if you're sitting on the bench and someone comes and sits next to you, usually they don't sit against you. They leave a certain amount of space. If they sit against you, you tend to just shift over a little bit. But Jesus was not aloof from those around him. He was not out of touch. And he allowed people to enter his personal space. He allowed people to touch him. Let's look at several examples. John chapter 20. Jesus was touched by a doubter whose name was Thomas. The disciples were gathered together. Thomas was not there. Jesus appeared personally in their midst, and then he left. Later, Thomas came back, and the disciples told him, Jesus was here. Jesus is alive. He was here in our midst. Thomas said, that's too much for me to believe. He said, except I shall see in his hands the prints of his nails. And he said, no, that's not enough. He said, except I stick my finger in the print of his nails. You see, for some people, seeing is believing. Thomas said, no, not for me. For me, touching is believing. He said, except I see in his hands and put my finger into those prints. And he went a step farther and he said, I even want to stick my hand into that hole in his side. He said, if I can do that, then I'll believe. But until then, no, this is too much. I don't believe it. Well, then the moment came when Thomas was with the disciples, and there was Jesus. He appeared in their midst suddenly. 
He looked at Thomas. He knew what Thomas said. He knew Thomas's feelings and his doubts. I can picture him stretching out his hands. He said to Thomas, Thomas, come. Stick your finger right there in that nail print. He said, here, reach forth your hand. Thrust it into my side. That's getting pretty personal. But Jesus allowed people to enter into his space and to touch his life. What was the result? The doubter believed. Thomas's response, my Lord and my God, this is Jesus. You are alive. Touching brings faith. Are you ready to reach out and touch Jesus and believe in him? Another example, Luke chapter 6. Jesus was touched by the multitudes. A great multitude of people were following Jesus. Read it in this account sometime. They came from Jerusalem, all Judea, the area surrounding Jerusalem, and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and they that were vexed with unclean spirits. So there were the sick, those who were possessed. Listen to what it says. The whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him, and he healed them all. Now, I cannot quite imagine being in that position. Surrounded by a multitude of people from three cities and probably a number of towns throughout Judea, and every one of them trying to touch you. That'd be me. It'd be, get me out of here. This is getting too overwhelming. But not Jesus. He did not look for a way of escape. He allowed himself to be mobbed. It says they all, the whole multitude, tried to touch him. And notice his response. It says, he healed them all. The multitudes were healed. Touching Jesus brings healing. Are you willing to reach out and touch Jesus? Well, he was touched by the outcast or by an outcast. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus was invited to the house of a Pharisee. And while he was there, a woman came into the house. Bible doesn't tell us a lot about this woman except that she was a sinner. It tells us enough to know that she was an outcast. Well, what did this woman do? This woman come into the house. She washed Jesus' feet. She wiped them with her hair. She kissed his feet. And she anointed his feet. Meanwhile, Jesus' host the Pharisee was watching in disgust. He, the Pharisee thought, he, Jesus, is allowing her to touch him? Doesn't he know what kind of a woman this is? Doesn't he know her character? You see, she was the kind of woman the self-righteous Pharisee would want to have absolutely nothing to do with, at least not in public. And here Jesus was in a public place. He did not shy away from her. He accepted her for who she was, as she was. And there's something about this account that I think tells us a lot about this woman. 
It says, from the moment she entered the room, she was weeping. And if you read that with attention, I don't think this means there were two or three tears that squeezed out of her eyes and ran down her cheeks. The tears were flowing from her face. The tears were dripping from her face. It says she washed his feet with her tears. This woman was racked with sobs. She was just weeping uncontrollably. Why? To me, it's a sign of her repentance. I believe she was crying tears of repentance for her lifestyle. In fact, Jesus said to her, Woman, your sins are forgiven you. Your faith hath saved you. Go in peace. That woman left there a saved woman. She was crying tears of repentance. You see, the outcast repented. Touching Jesus for her brought repentance. One more example. Jesus was touched by the believers. After the crucifixion, there were some women who came to the tomb and found it empty. Now, we read this story, we read over it, we know what happened, and we tend to read it pretty nonchalantly. But try to imagine the emotions of these women. They had followed Jesus. They loved Jesus. They saw Jesus crucified. They saw Jesus die. They saw him buried. They knew he was dead. They came to the tomb. His body was not there. What happened to his body? They had no idea. They thought someone took it away. Then the angel spoke to them and said, Jesus is risen. Go and tell his disciples. This probably had a pretty hard time registering in his mind, but they turned to go to the disciples. And as they were going, Jesus himself appeared to them. What emotions would be going through your mind at this point? What would your response be? He was there in person. These women fell down before him. They hung onto his feet. They clung to his feet. And they worshipped him. As the believers touched Jesus, they worshipped him. And this is the real touch of love. You see, we can reach out to touch Jesus like Thomas, seeking answers, or like the multitudes, seeking healing, or like the outcast in repentance. But this is going a step farther. It is the touch of worship that is the real expression of our love to Jesus. It is the touch that gives rather than the touch that receives. These women at this point were not looking to receive anything from Jesus. They were giving to Jesus. They were worshiping Jesus. It was an expression of their love. Jesus allowed, Jesus touched people. Jesus allowed people to touch him. Jesus welcomes our touch of love. And you may ask, how can I touch God? How can I touch Jesus? He's not here physically. Are there ways you can touch God? I was planning to read a number of verses from Matthew 25 
I think I'll not read them for the sake of time, but you are familiar with the passage, passage. Jesus looked at those that were gathered on his right hand, and he said to them, he lists all kinds of things that they did for him. He said, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in, ministered to me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came unto me. And these people that were gathered at his right hand said, Lord, when did we feed you? When did we give you something to drink? When did we clothe you? When did we take you in? Jesus' words to them, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my ye have done it unto me. How can you touch Jesus? There's your answer. Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, the outcasts of society, ye have done it unto me. Every time you touch a person in need, Jesus says, you are touching me. Are you willing to enter into the lives of these people? Are you allow them to enter your personal space, to get in your face, as it were, and to show the love with the sacrifice of your personal touch? There's a story that has been repeated frequently. I don't think it can be verified, but nevertheless, it makes an interesting point. Story tells about a town in Europe that was badly damaged during World War II. And this town had a cathedral, and in front of that cathedral was a statue of Jesus standing with his hands outstretched. And at the foot of that statue was a plaque that had the verse from our Sunday school lesson this morning, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. As these people were cleaning up the rubble after the war, they found this statue of Jesus toppled over with both of the hands broken off at the wrists. And there was quite a bit of talk. What are we going to do with this statue? It was a meaningful statue to them. It had a lot of sentimental value. Everyone was remembered that statue. They did not want to discard it, and yet they really did not feel they could repair it. It had been carved one piece. Finally, after much contemplation, they agreed that they would leave this statue standing in its place by the door of the church with the outstretched arms minus the hands. The only change they would make, they would change the reading at the plaque at the feet to say, Christ has no hands but yours. We are the hands of Christ. Now that's an interesting story, and it may not be theologically correct. The Bible refers many times to the hands of God, the hands of Christ. But it makes a point. If you want to express your love to God this morning, remember that you are his hands. God wants you to use your hands to touch those around you. And when you do that, you're telling God, I love you. 
and you're speaking a language that God understands. God understands the language of touch. God understands your love by your touch. Are you speaking his language? Is he getting the message? I'm just uh, like to make this a little bit practical this morning by giving a little bit of a challenge to the girls here in the front bench and the boys sitting here in front. Front. I'm going to encourage you this morning after the last day, men, instead of darting out that side door, the side aisle, go back to the middle aisle of the church. And to the rest of you, make it a point to shake their hand. Give them a word of blessing. Express your love to God by touching these people. Do you think you can do that this morning for one? Yeah, I thought you could. Very good. God understands your love by your touch. Is he getting the message? Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. That means that we need to express our love to him every way we can. Not just one way or two ways or halfway. Learning another language is never easy, but it's very rewarding. Are you willing to put forth the effort to learn to speak God's language, the language of love? If you do, you will never be sorry. Our practice here is to kneel in prayer at the close of the service, and we would like to invite you, if you're interested in doing so, to join us as we kneel for prayer. Lord, this morning, we want to thank you for your love to us. Thank you for the way in which you've expressed your love so bountifully in a way that leaves us without doubt. Lord, this morning, we are debtors to express our love to you. And sometimes we feel so unable to express our love, but we want to be willing to learn to speak love your way and to express our love to you in praise and in touch and in whatever way you want to, in a way that you can understand. Lord, I pray that people would recognize us for our love, our love for you and our love for others, that we would not be ashamed to express that love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.